the middle of this uh, trial that we've been going through just to look for some encouragement from the book of Psalms. And I enjoyed that time in the book of Psalms, but just praying about the direction the Lord wanted us to go in the scriptures. Uh, the Lord said, let's get, back, let's get back to Genesis. Let's get back to our study of Hebrews on Sunday night. And so I'm looking forward to digging back into the book of Genesis. Now we're in chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25. That's the halfway point in the book of Genesis. Somebody asked me, how long have we been in this series in Genesis? And it's been about a year and a half that we've been in this series in Genesis. And we're halfway through, if that tells you anything. Um, but we've been enjoying God, digging into these wonderful, rich truths in the book of Genesis together, and we'll continue to do so here uh, this morning uh, today as well. In the book of Genesis, it's a book where we discover the roots of our redemption, and that's something that we have been looking at, just seeing the beginning of the redemption story as it's told from the life of Adam, from the life of Noah, from the life of Abraham, and as we'll see today, from the life of Isaac as well. And I'm thankful the Lord recorded these truths for us in the Scripture. Now, the name Genesis, as we've learned before, it's a name that literally means beginnings or generations. And in the book of Genesis, we discover ten different generations that are listed for us. Now, interestingly, two of those generations recorded in the book of Genesis are given for us here in chapter 25 of the book of Genesis. You'll notice in verse number 12, the Bible says, Now these are the generations of Ishmael. And then in verse number 19, the Bible says, And these are the generations of who? Isaac. These are the generations of Isaac. And within these two generation, different generations of people, there is much the Lord wants us to learn from the Scriptures today. Now, have, how many of you ever heard of a, the generation gap before? All right. The generation gap is the difference of opinions between one generation and another regarding beliefs, politics, values, morality, so on and so forth. I heard the story about a young man that was uh, uh, talking to an older gentleman and explaining to him the significance of the generation gap and how uh, that the older generation just didn't understand the younger generation. And he went on talking about, well, we, we, your, your generation didn't grow up with the things that my generation has grown up with. My generation's grown up with cell phones and, and uh, grown up with flat screen televisions and grown up with smart cars and smartphones and, and internet and social media and all these things. And he went on and on and on about all those things. And then he looked at the man and he said, what did your generation do? And the old guy, the older, the older gentleman looked at him and said, you know what? My generation made all that stuff. <laughs> what is your generation going to do? And uh, there's a little bit of rivalry sometimes between the different generations, but there are some things that, some things that uh, used to be when you were a kid. It isn't that way anymore. And there's some of, there's sometimes I'm even starting to realize with, with having kids and having been a youth pastor for a while myself and still working with our teens, sometimes I'm realizing, boy, they look at things completely differently. Um, than what even I do as a 30-year-old. And so there definitely is a thing called a generation gap. And between Abraham and his sons, Ishmael and Isaac, there certainly was this generation gap. And here's what I'll say. Each one of Ishmael and Isaac were both the sons of Abraham. And each one of these sons had to determine for himself how he was going to live his life. Both of them had a godly father. But both of them had to make their own choices about how they were going to take their inheritance, the legacy that Abraham had left to them, and, and use it. 
And that's the choice that every generation, I suppose, has to make for themselves. Now let me just say this. The generations of men are going to come and go. But there's one thing, one, one person, I should say, that is going to remain the same throughout every generation, and that is the Lord. God doesn't change from generation to generation. We may change. We may change in our values, in our beliefs, in our structure. But I'm thankful the Lord's a consistent one. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 90 and verses 1 and 2, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. And I'm glad the, the, the God who was the God of my grandfather and the God who is the God of my my Father is the same God that is my God today and is the same God that is going to be the God of my children. I'm glad He's the same in every generation. The one person who can help you navigate your journey of life no matter what generation you find yourself in, no matter what struggles or circumstances you may face in your generation, the one person who can navigate and sustain you through it all is the Lord He's been the same throughout all these years. Psalm 33 and verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. And so we're going to notice in Genesis chapter 25, as we see the ending of one generation, Abraham, and the passing on of a legacy to Isaac and Ishmael, how each of them chose to live out what they had, been, what they had inherited from their fathers. And we're going to notice each one of us today, how we can live by faith in our generation. And it's so important for us to understand today. So let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Give us the truth we need from His Word today. And we'll dig into the Scriptures. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you, Lord, are faithful. As we sang about a moment ago, throughout every generation, Lord, you are God and you are the same and you deal with us in the same way. And Lord, that's a reassuring thing to know there's something in this world that doesn't change. There's someone in this world who's always good, who's always right, who's always holy, and it's you. And Lord, we turn to your uh, uh, infallible truth today, truth that doesn't change, and look to it to give us counsel for our lives today and the generation that we find ourselves in. And so, Lord, I pray your spirit would work in my heart. Lord, work in the hearts of everyone who is under the sound of the voice of your word today. And I pray, God, you'd give us a blessed time in the word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Notice in your Bible, Genesis chapter 25. If you're there with me, say amen. Notice what the Bible says starting in verse number 8. The Bible says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. Now we've preached from this text of Scripture before, but I like the, I like the fact that the Bible says Abraham died in a good old age. Um, for some people, old age isn't so good. But he was a man that made it to being an old man, and it was a good old age. And he died in a good old age. And verse 9 goes on to say that at his funeral, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. And so Genesis chapter 25, as we've already studied several, several weeks ago, it begins with the end of Abraham's life. And by the way, what a life of faith Abraham lived. What a great legacy he left for his sons. And we see that the Bible tells us that Abraham's two sons, they stood side by side at their father's funeral. Now, Here's what's interesting about that to me. Abraham had some really difficult choices to make in his life concerning his family. For example, Abraham, 
under the leadership of God, had to send away Ishmael when Ishmael was 13 years old. That was a tough choice. He loved his son. Abraham had to take his other teenage son when, when Isaac was a teenager. I believe this happened when he was a teenager or a young man. And he took Isaac up to Mount Moriah and had to offer him up as a sacrifice. Now, we know the Lord, the Lord intervened, but still that was a tough situation. But get this, in spite of all the tough choices Abraham had to make in his life on the behalf of his sons, when it came down to the end of his days, we see Ishmael and Isaac standing side by side at their father's funeral. What does that tell you? His sons had learned to respect their father's character and his faith even through all of those difficult choices. And you listen to me, especially those of you that are a little bit older today. You need to give those who are coming behind you a legacy they can respect and carry on. Your kids won't necessarily always agree with everything that you do and every choice that you made, but they can know that you are a man of faith and a man of consistent character. And that's a great legacy to be able to pass on to the ones who are coming behind you. The Bible does say in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 6 that the glory of children are their fathers. You know, it's a natural thing for a child to admire their parents. I love it. I, I hope it doesn't change, but I know it probably will. But my daughter, Hattie, she tells me all the time, Daddy, I want to marry you when I grow up. I think that's a great idea. I don't know how it's going to work exactly, but why does she say that? Because no, she admires her daddy. Now, I, I don't pity the young man who tries to steal that affection away from me. I'm not going to like that very much, all right? But it's natural for kids to admire their parents. But what is truly valuable, however, is when an adult can respect his parents. See, something switches as you get older. You either learn to appreciate your parents for how they raised you, you learn to see, you know, it wasn't, all it, was, it wasn't all it seemed to be when I was a kid. See, happy is the person, the Bible says in Psalm 16 and verse 6, that can say, the lines are fallen into me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. And would to God, by His grace, we would be able to pass down a goodly heritage to our children. Let me say this as a word of hope to you. You might not have started well, but you can finish well. You can, you can die in a good old age and pass down a legacy to those who are coming behind you. And that starts today, wherever you find yourself. And so Abraham passes away. And, and Abraham being passed on here, the Bible now begins to tell us of the legacy he left behind in his sons. And notice with me in verse 11. Say amen if you're there with me. Verse 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well Laharoi. So our journey in Genesis now brings us fully to the end of Abraham's life. And we are in full view now of the life of Isaac, starting here in verse number 11. Warren Wearsby noted that Isaac was the son of a famous father, Abraham, and he was the father of a famous son, Jacob. But you know, of all the three patriarchs that are mentioned for us, the primary patriarchs here in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, probably Isaac is the least well-known, is the, is the one we know the least about. There's the least, there's the least amount of information recorded for us in the Scripture about Isaac. There's only one chapter in the Bible uh, that, that only deals with Isaac in the Scripture. And uh, that's, that can't be said of Jacob or Abraham, but it was true of Isaac. 
And because of this, a lot of times we don't uh, uh, generally know about Isaac as much as we do the other patriarchs. The fact is, Isaac didn't travel very far in his life. He didn't have very many major exploits in his life. In fact, he never left home. He never left the land that God had promised to him. He never went down to Egypt like Abraham did or, uh, uh, or left home in, in any measure. And because of this, uh, some people will look at the life of Isaac and think that, well, he was just a quiet, meditative man who, who lived in peace. And boy, he didn't, he didn't accomplish near as much as his father Abraham or, or near as much as his son Jacob. But here's the thing. In, in spite of all of that, something that we observe from the life of Isaac is that he didn't try to be something that he wasn't. One of the wonderful truths about Isaac is he just was content being who God created and called him to be. He didn't have to be like his dad. He didn't have to be like his brother Ishmael. He was content being the person God called and created him to be. And let me just say this to that point right there. Every generation will face the temptation either to try to be like their predecessors or to be like their contemporaries. This is something that I have been going through personally as, as, a, as a 30-year-old young man. Young man, right? Amen. Thank you, yeah. The, the temptation is when you are looking, uh, the temptation of life is that you can get so focused on looking at the people who came before you and trying to measure up to them, trying to be like them. Or you look at the people around you and you see their relationships and you see uh, their status in life and, and the temptation can be that you want to uh, be like the people around you and, and cave to that peer pressure. But here's the problem. The Bible tells us it's unwise to live by comparison. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not wise to get focused on trying to keep up with the Joneses or be everything that the people who came before you were. That's not what God expects of any, any of us. Well, I want to honor those who have come before me and respect those who are beside me in this journey of life. I have realized that I don't have to be just like them to be successful. God's made me to be me. As a young man, I remember when my dad told me very well, he said, son, you're going to have to start choosing for yourself how you want to live and what you believe. It's not enough for you to just say you believe something because I believe it. You've got to choose for yourself what you believe and how you're going to live. It was a good day in my life as a young man when my dad began to teach me that truth, that God did not create me to be him, that God did not create me to be somebody else, but God created me to be me. And by the way, you may, not, you may not fully understand this, but friend, the Bible tells us every one of us are a unique creation of God created for a wonderful specific purpose that God has given to us. The psalmist said in Psalm 139 and verse 14, I'll praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Hey, why would you settle to try to be a cheap imitation of someone else when God has created you to be a valuable original. <laughs> Amen. 
Nobody can be you but you, and God made you to be you and use your gifts and abilities to accomplish a very beautiful and perfect purpose for your life. And so Isaac, he wasn't everything his father was. He wasn't everything his son turned out to be, but he was who God made him to be, and that makes him a great man of faith in my book in the Scripture. And though Isaac wasn't everything his father was, hey, verse 11 tells us he was equally blessed by God. He was equally blessed by God. And, hey, uh, Isaac is no less a part of the story of redemption, no less a forefather of, of, of Jesus Christ himself when he came into this world than Abraham and Jacob were. He was just as much used of God and God's great plan of redemption. And that's important for us to keep in mind. And let me say this, every generation needs the next generation. None of us can be self-existent. None of us uh, can isolate ourselves in that way. The younger generation depends on the older generation to pass down truth and skills and traditions to them. And the older generation depends on the younger generation to carry on those things to the people who are coming behind them. And so no generation stands alone. We all need each other. I'm thankful in our church that we have so many uh, uh, older men and women of God to mentor and to, to pour influence into those of us who are a little bit younger, who don't know what it's like to have teenagers yet. I'm going to need some counsel from those of you that got it all figured out when, when I have three teenage girls in my household. And I'm thankful that there's some people who, uh, uh, who, who've been down the road a little bit who can help younger ones like us out. And I'm thankful that I can learn some truth from the older generation who's, who's ahead of me. I'm glad as being a little bit older than some of these teenagers and kids that, that I'm going to be able to pour my life and my heart from the Word of God, things I've learned from God's Word and pouring into their lives those who are coming behind me. We need each other. And we got to remember that fact right there. And so we see this truth demonstrated. Now, Ronald Reagan, he once said this, and I thought this was appropriate to share at this juncture. Ronald Reagan said, Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. And I tell you what, if that doesn't ring true today in the middle of all these crazy things that we've been going through, in the middle of these liberties that have presumably been, been being taken away, if that doesn't ring more true today in your heart, then friend, then there's something wrong in there. Because we have got to pass down these truths to the people, the generations who are coming behind us. And if that's true for America, if that's true for freedom, if that's true for patriotism, friend, you better believe it's even more true for Christianity. Yes. You see, Christianity is never more than one generation away from extinction. If we don't pass down the truth of God's word and the legacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our children, there will come a day not too far down the road when there'll be no anniversary celebrations for Lighthouse Baptist Church. There'll come a day when these doors are closed, someone else will move in because we didn't, we didn't take the, the, the obligation and the privilege and the responsibility God has given us seriously to pass down a legacy of faith to those who are coming behind us. And God help us to understand the importance of the truth of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, where the Bible says that the things that thou hast learned of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who can teach others also. You probably remember like I do, a Sunday school teacher in your past who taught you, you've never forgot them because they influenced your life. 
Maybe it was a a teacher in a junior church, or maybe it was a parent, or maybe it was someone else who first told you about the gospel of Jesus Christ who made a big impact on your life. Maybe it was a Christian coach or something along those lines. Hey, you remember those influences in your past. Is there some young one today that can remember you as being that influence for them? We each have a privilege and responsibility to pour into the generations that are around us. And let us not forget it. And so the Bible again says in verse number 11, And it came to pass after the death of uh, Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well Laharoi. Now the scripture makes very clear that Isaac was the blessed son of of promise. In contrast to his older brother Ishmael, Isaac was the one that God clearly blessed here in the scripture and there could be no dispute here. And what's interesting, this often happens in the book of Genesis, but in listing these two genealogies back to back, there's a method employed of giving the rejected line first and then setting them aside and then talking the rest of the time about the uh, the, the, the line that was accepted of God. And so Ishmael's line was rejected. That's why he's listed first. And then Isaac's line is mentioned second. And the story of redemption carries on through the offspring of Isaac. And so we read first about this rejected line of Ishmael. And I can't say that enough. And we'll, we'll emphasize why in just a minute. But notice in verse number 12, if you're still with me, say Amen. The Bible says in verse 12, Now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, and Kedar, and Abdil, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa, and Hadar, and Tima, and Jeter, Naphish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their towns and by their castles, Twelve princes according to their generations. Now, important point to make here. Why does God list this here in the scripture? Well, God had made a promise to Abraham that he was going to bless Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was not going to be of the blessed line, but God had promised that physically speaking, he was going to take care of Ishmael and Ishmael's descendants. But Ishmael was not a recipient of God's covenant of promise like Isaac was. And yet the Lord shows us how he kept his promise practically to Abraham here in the scripture. And I remind you, we've learned this before about these two. Ishmael is a picture, a type of an unsafe person in the scripture. While Isaac is a, is a reminder, is a type, a picture of a believer, of a saved individual. And this spiritual application is brought out later in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 4. If you have your notes, you can look down there or you can go to Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 28. Well, the Bible says this of us as believers, we who believed in Jesus. It says, now we brethren as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And then it goes on to verse 31 to say, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, of Hagar, but of the free. We're the children of God. You think about Isaac and Ishmael, how they entered into this world. Ishmael was born a slave, but Isaac was born to be free. He was born free. 
Ishmael was born poor, but Isaac was born rich. He inherited all of his father's riches. And you think about the spiritual application for you and I, friend. The fact is, every one of us who are born again believers in Jesus are free born children of God. We are free from the law. We are free from the condemnation of sin. We are free born children of God. And we are inheritors of all the blessings of our Father, our God. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm glad to be a son of my Father through my faith in Jesus Christ, to be an inheritor of all the blessings of the promise, just like Isaac was. And what a blessing it is to be a child of God today. Amen? Amen, preacher. That's good stuff right there. I just got to get that in there one time, all right? Now, there's some notable things that we can notice here about the generations of Ishmael. Um, and I don't want to park here too long because the main emphasis of the account of Scripture, I believe, is on Isaac. But the Bible tells us, as we just read, that Ishmael had 12 sons. And from these 12 sons were established 12 different towns with their own, what the Bible calls castles. Now, they weren't literally castles as we'd think of in the, in the, in the middle e, uh, medieval sense of the word, but these castles would have been walled-in settlements. I mean, these were settlements that became great empires, that became great cities. And we find that the Bible tells us that Ishmael's descendants, they moved away from the Promised Land, and they migrated and settled down in a region known today as Saudi Arabia. That's what the Bible indicates in verse 18, where it says that they dwelt from Havilah unto Shore. So they dwelt between Egypt and, 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 and uh, uh, Assyria, that, that a place we know today in the Scripture to be Saudi Arabia. I think we have a map of that uh, that we can put up on the screen for everybody to see if you can find it there. But in stark contrast to the descendants of Isaac, who the Bible says were sojourners, the Bible tells us that the descendants of Ishmael, they were settlers. They settled in in this world. See, Isaac, Abraham, they were all sojourners. They were all people who were just passing through this world. But the descendants of Ishmael, hey, they settled in in this world. And listen, those who are not saved, they're individuals who settle in this world. They're, they're storing up all their goods, all their resources in life. And they're settled into this world. But the Bible says that this world, for us who are believers, this, is, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. See, we're not settled in. We're not living for this world. We're living for a world beyond this. We're not living for the earth. We're living for eternity. But we see Ishmael's descendants settling in in this world, establishing themselves in this world. And friend, God challenges us not to live for this earth, but to live for eternity as the people of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2, the Bible says, sets your affections on things above and not things on the earth. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to park here, but another thing we draw from looking at the life of Ishmael is in the names of his sons, it seems to tell the record of the story of his life. Some commentators have said if you study the names of Ishmael's sons, it'll actually give you um, a, a timeline of the history of what happened in the establishment of the Muslim religion, Islam. 
And I'm not going to go so far as to say that. But I've listed the, the meaning of the names of his sons because you can go through and it just seems like a life where he, when, he, when, he, when, when people would have their children, they would name their children with meaning about something that was going on in their life during that time period. And boy, it was a life filled with a lot of highs and a lot of lows, a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And let me just say this about Ishmael. This will be the story of every person's life apart from faith in the one true God. A life of ups and downs. A life of turmoil and trouble. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we see that is indeed how the end of Ishmael's life played out. And so I want you to notice in verse number 17 what the Bible goes on to say about the end of Ishmael's legacy. It says, And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, and 137 years old uh, was he, and he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered to his people. And then the Bible goes on in verse number 18, and it says this, that he died in the presence or in the face of all of his brethren. Hey, in the account of Scripture that we're about to study from Isaac, Ishmael didn't die before what we read about Isaac took place. He went on to live 80 more years. But guess what? God had no reason to write anything more about his life. Why? Because Ishmael's life no longer was intertwined with the story of redemption. And can I just say this to those of you that are listening here today? Hey, apart from life for Christ, there is nothing that you will accomplish in this life of significance apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how much power or prestige or popularity you receive. Friend, if you, if you can gain the whole world, the Bible says, and lose your own soul. And the Bible tells us that the end of Ishmael's life, he died in the face of his, of his brethren. He died in opposition to his brethren. And by the way, hey, that's still the, the manner of the Arab people today, the Islamic people. They live their life in opposition continually to the people that are around them. In particular, Ishmael's descendants have lived continually throughout history in opposition to one nation. And guess which nation that is? Isaac's descendants, Israel. And we still see it true to this day. And so I say again to you, we learn from Ishmael that the story of your life will have no significance apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And may we learn that from Ishmael here in the Scripture. Now as the Bible goes on, the account of Scripture now transitions and focuses on the generations of Isaac. And whereas Ishmael, who had a godly father, who was raised in a good home, he spurned that inheritance and he chose to go his own direction. And boy, it didn't turn out well for him in the end. Whereas that's the direction that Ishmael went. Isaac, when he faced his generation gap, he chose to follow in his father's faith. And we see that demonstrated in the scriptures here. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 19, now if you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse 19, the Bible says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah the wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, and the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now already we've discovered in Genesis the miraculous birth of Isaac. We've discovered how God supernaturally brought Rebekah and Isaac 
to be wedded to, together in Genesis chapter 24. And all of that set the groundwork for what we're about to study from Isaac and Rebekah. But here's one thing we note right off the bat. Isaac was born into a godly home. His father and mother, they believed in the Lord. Isaac inherited a godly legacy. Rebekah, on the other hand, the Bible indicates here, came from a godless home. Laban, the trickster, was her brother. Bethuel was her father, a pagan from Padanaram. And so Rebekah didn't come from the same type of home that Isaac had come from. But get this, she became a part of the legacy of faith through her union to Isaac. She wasn't a part of God's covenant of faith. God's covenant of promise. But when she married Isaac, she became a part of it. And some of you remember this from our study in Genesis chapter 24. But the Bible teaches us that Isaac and Rebekah, they're a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Now that's you and I who have believed in him. And get this, you and I like Rebekah, each one of us are born into this world estranged from the family of God. I mean, we have no hope on our own in our own earthly sinful inheritance. But when we learn about Jesus Christ, and as Rebecca said to Isaac, we say, I will go to him. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We come to union in faith with Christ. The Bible teaches us that we become a part of the legacy of faith. Through Jesus Christ. We become a part of the family of God and all of the rich promises of God by being joined in union with Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful truth that is. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us that at that time that you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are now made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm thankful through our faith in Jesus Christ we were one time far off from God but now we're brought near through faith in Jesus and what a blessing that is to know here today and so we see Isaac and Rebecca beginning their life together and a beautiful beautiful uh, illustration of a couple who, who was surrendered to the Lord. And now the Bible begins to tell us about their life together. In verse number 21, if you're still there with me, say amen. amen. Verse 21, the Bible says, And Isaac entreated, uh, that means he uh, interceded or supplicated or prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was what? Barren. She was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now once again here in the Scripture, we see that this family faced the trial of barrenness. You remember Isaac's mama? She was barren too, Sarah. She was barren for 25 years. Finally, at 90 years old, she was able to bear a child into this world. Who would have ever thought such a thing? But once again, we see this happening to this family. In this case, the barrenness, listen to me, it was not in Isaac. It wasn't in his inability to reproduce offspring. The barrenness was in Rebekah, his wife. She could not produce. She could not get pregnant. And this trial, the Bible says here, it pushed Isaac to his knees in prayer. And we find later in the Scripture that for 20 years, Isaac pleaded with God. And he prayed for God to open up Rebekah's womb so that she could conceive a child can I just stop here to say, I don't have long to park here. Let me just stop here to say, God often uses trials of barrenness 
to teach us some of the most important truths of our lives. What is barrenness a symbol of? What does it represent in the scripture? We already, we already looked at this when we studied Sarah's life uh, months ago. But barrenness reminds us of the, the futility of our flesh. For Paul, the Apostle Paul said this, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will, to want to do what's right, to, for, to produce life is present with me, but how to do it, I can't do it. I can't perform it. That's, that's where we're at in and of ourselves. And the barrenness that's spoken of here is a spiritual uh, uh, lesson for us about how empty, how vain our lives truly are when we try to live it in and of our own power and in and of our own strength. You try to live the Christian life, you try to accomplish good things for God in your own power, it's always, always, always going to result in barrenness and emptiness. And that's what we see happen here in the Scripture. You see, Jesus Christ is our source of life. He's our only source of life, and in Him alone we can experience true fruitfulness, True ability to produce life. It's not of ourselves. It's only of Christ. And so when we try to produce it ourselves, it always results in barrenness. I like what uh, John Phillips said to this point. He said, if we trace the problem of our spiritual barrenness to its proper source, we must acknowledge that the problem lies in us, not in Christ. We are spiritually barren today. It's not because of Christ's inability to give the life. It's because of our selfishness and trying to produce it ourselves. You listen to me on this point. Your fruitfulness is not based on your connection to God, but on God's connection to you. Jesus said in John 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. And then he said, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And if you try to live life apart from dependence upon the Spirit of God placed inside of you, friend, you will, see, you will, you will experience the barrenness that comes from that, and perhaps you're experiencing it now, trying to figure out all the problems and all the things that are going on around you and your own strength and your own power, and it's always going to come up feeling empty. And so as Isaac prayed for God to heal Rebekah of her barrenness, it reminds us of a similar prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ prayed on our behalf in the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe in John chapter 17. Jesus interceding on our behalf that we would come to understand where the true source of life uh, uh, happens. You see, Isaac didn't blame Rebekah for being barren because she was born that way. But we find that he prayed that God would enable her to receive the ability to produce life. And Jesus knew that in ourselves... We're born of flesh. We don't have the ability to, pr to produce a life of things spiritual in and of ourselves. And he knew the only way it would be possible is living in union with him, living in dependence upon him. And so the Bible tells us in John chapter 17 and verse 20 that Jesus said, I pray for them also which shall believe on me. And in verse 21 he said that they may, uh, that they may all be one as, the Father, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. See, Jesus wanted us to come to learn how true spiritual life could be produced through living in dependence on Him. That's the only way to cure yourself of spiritual barrenness is learning to live in dependence upon the Lord. 
And so the Bible teaches us these things here in the Scriptures. Now finally, after 20 long years of pleading, we find that God answered Isaac's prayer and his wife Rebekah got pregnant. And boy, let me just say this here to you, okay? The fact is, this morning, um, you won't always understand God's timing. You won't always understand when or how God chooses to answer your prayers. But you would do well to learn to trust in God's plan for your life. He knows what's best. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that His thoughts are not your thoughts and His ways are not your ways. His ways are higher. His thoughts are better. And you can trust God with the circumstances of your life. But I'll also say this to, to, to approach the same subject from a different angle. It's not wrong for you to keep asking. So we say, well, God didn't answer my prayer when I asked, so I guess I'll just stop asking. He gave me His answer. No, if God's planted a good desire in your heart, hey, it's not wrong for you to continue to keep knocking on heaven's doors. Isaac prayed for 20 years for a child. Abraham prayed for 25 years for a child. And see, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Don't stop asking. Don't stop pleading. If God's planted a good desire in your heart, keep seeking the Lord about it until He opens a door of opportunity and brings you to that desired haven. Now, I ask permission to show some pictures of uh, Travis and Bree Hansen. Whenever I think of this truth, I think of Travis and Bree. They prayed for several years for God to give them a child. And, and for years it didn't happen, but I remember the day when they came in and they gave the, they gave the glorious news that God had enabled them to conceive a child. And we got a picture of her here as well. Little Griffin Noel. She's a cute little girl. A ball full of life. And what a blessing it is to see an answer to prayer like that. Can I say God still answers prayer? Don't stop knocking on heaven's door. Don't stop praying for that good desire God's planted in your heart. Don't stop praying for your kids. Don't stop praying until God gives an answer. And what a challenge that is for us to understand. Another Family I, I think of, and I don't know if he's going to put the picture up there or not because Ethan's in control of the, the screen here, but uh, I think of uh, Miss Katie and Ethan. I think of them praying that uh, God would uh, bring them to the right person in His will and time, and I think of their story. Now, he didn't keep it up there very long, did he? But uh, I think of how in, in God's own way, in God's own time, it didn't happen the way they thought it would. Probably didn't happen the way that they wanted it to. If they, had to, they were able to choose for themselves, but God brought them together. Don't stop knocking on heaven's door. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Now there's one more thing I want, you, want us to notice before we're done with our time together here today. It's in verse number 22. If you're still with me, say amen. I'm sure you have all kinds of places you need to go. I mean, you're going to go out to, out to lunch right after this. And so I know I need to, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're fine. We're, we're all fine. Uh, we're, we're quarantined anyways, right? But I'll try to be uh, hasten here. Uh, but verse number 22, the Bible says, And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, Isaac had prayed so hard for this child, but when Rebecca finally got pregnant, I'm sure she wanted to go grab Isaac by the coattails and said, you did this to me. And it wasn't a good pregnancy, okay? 
How many of you ladies can relate with having a tough pregnancy? I'll never know what that's like. Um, But uh, it was a tough pregnancy. And the Bible tells us why. In verse number 22, the Bible says that the children struggled together within her. Not one, but two. She was having twins, and they were already acting like siblings. They were wrestling. They were fighting. They were warring with each other. Uh, the Bible, there, some commentators say with what the Hebrew expresses here in these terms that uh, they believe that uh, 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 Esau actually tried to kill Jacob in the womb. I don't know if you can assign that to them or not. I don't know how you can get that out of that, but we know they were at least fighting like brothers in the womb. And so Rebecca who had no way of knowing that she was going to have twins. I mean, there were no ultrasounds, okay? There's no way of her knowing that she's having twins. Uh, this struggle brought her to her knees. And so, hey, this was an answer to Isaac's prayer. She had waited for so long to have this child, and now she's pregnant, and she was having so much problems. And so the Bible tells us that so great was the struggle that it drew her to go inquire of the Lord. Now, that word inquire, I love that Hebrew word. It, it literally means to resort to or to seek someone with your concerns or to seek someone with your cares. Hey, have you ever been so struggling with something, so burdened about something that it just drove you to your knees to give your care to the Lord because you didn't know where else to go with it? That's the place where Rebecca found herself here. And immediately when she sought the Lord, the Bible says that God returned to her in answer. And in verse number 23, the Bible says that the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manners of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Well, now she got the news. Uh, she, didn't, she didn't need an ultrasound. She had God, and God told her, you're going to have twins. And uh, what a startling announcement that must have been for her. Um, God doubly answered their, answered their prayer. Not just one kid, but two kids. The Lord also told Rebecca, these two that you're about to bear are going to have problems. In fact, they're going to they're become two great nations that are going to war with each other all their lives. And we're going to talk more about that aspect of what God told her next week. But the one application I believe the Lord wants us to draw out of this here is this amazing thing. Listen to me, and we're almost done. Through this struggle that God allowed Rebecca to go through in this pregnancy, through this struggle, we find that Rebecca turned to faith in Jehovah God. Now, we don't have any clear indication before this period whether or not Rebecca believed in Isaac's God. To her, it was the God of Isaac. She didn't grow up with a faith in Jehovah God. But through this struggle and through this experience, we find it brought Rebecca to her knees. And now all of a sudden, Jehovah was not just Isaac's God, but he became her God. And she called out to the Lord, the Bible says, in this passage of Scripture. And let me just say this, God will often use the struggles that we face in this life to turn us to faith in Him. Now don't lose me here. I heard this story about a guy who went to his barber. How many of you guys would like to go to the barber? I have just resolved I'm not going to cut my hair or shave my beard or trim my beard until this is over. So if you want my beard to get really long, you need to pray for the coronavirus to go on for a couple more months, okay? Um, But I am missing my barber. I'm looking forward to getting a haircut. Some of you say I should let my wife cut my hair. I might do that. Um, And you all can laugh at me later. I'm sure she'll do a great job. Um, I digress. I better not not park there too long. (laughs) Uh, But... 
Anyways, uh, there's a man who went to his barber. And they were sitting there like, hey, um, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble if I talk about this too long. I, I'll just tell you, I'll go ahead and tell you my personal conviction, okay? Um, I feel like a man should go to a barber to get his hair cut. I'm talking about a guy. You say, why? Well, you saw how it turned out for Samson when he let a lady cut his hair, okay? Um, so be careful about that. But he goes to this barber. Got to finish my story. He goes to his barber, and he's sitting there, and they're just talking about different things. And at some point in the conversation, he's cutting his hair. The conversation turned to uh, talking about God. And, and the barber just looked at the man and said, well, I don't believe that there is a God. I don't believe that there could be a God in this world. The man sat there and, and asked him why he believed that. And he said, well, there's a God. Then, then why is there so much pain in the world? If there is a God, then why is there so much suffering in the world? I just can't believe in a God who would allow all of these things to take place. And the man didn't want to start an argument, so he just heard him out, and they finished. he finished getting his hair cut. He paid the man. And as he was going out, he was trying to think about how he could respond to this, this barber who had said this to him. And as he's walking out the door, wouldn't you know it, there was a man walking down the sidewalk right outside that had really long hair and a big old scraggly beard. And the man looked at that. And the idea came in his head and he turned around and he walked in the barber shop and he said, I don't believe in barbers. There's no such thing as barbers in this world. And the barber was a little flabbergasted by it and he said, well, I'm here and, and I'm a barber. Why don't you believe that there's a barber? Well, if there were barbers in this world, then how could there be men who have long hair and long scraggly beards walking around this world if there were barbers in this world? And that's finally when it, the thought occurred to the barber in that moment. He said, oh, I see. There is a God. People just don't go to Him with their needs. And that is indeed true. There is a God who can help with all the pain and suffering that's going on in this world. He's well able to. And can I say that God often uses, like He did for Rebecca and her struggle with this pregnancy, the struggles of our life to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we have no one else to turn to but Him. And it could be that you're listening to this message today and you've been depending on yourself. But God is using the struggles that we're going through right now as a world, as a country, in your life, whatever those struggles may be. Maybe it's a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one or, or whatever the case may be, struggling in your finances. But God has brought you into this trial because He wants to teach you that you need Him and in the middle of her trial, God brought Rebecca to this point of understanding, hey, I need the Lord. And it could be that God is allowing affliction and trouble and struggle in your life to remind you of your desperate, desperate need for Him. See, the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And oh, how we need to understand that truth today. God blesses us with struggles sometimes to teach us more to trust in Him. And so there was indeed a generation gap between Ishmael and Isaac. Both of them had a great legacy of faith handed down to them from their father Abraham, but one of them decided to go his own way, and it resulted in a life of trouble and triviality. The other son, Isaac, chose to follow in his father's footsteps of faith. And it resulted in a life of eternal significance. Not because he accomplished great feats, but because he lived his life in faith in a great God. And it made him a part of a great eternal legacy. And would to God that we each 
would make the right choice when it comes to this thing. Hey, do you want your legacy to be a legacy of futility or a legacy of faith? What are you going to pass down to those who are coming behind you? I don't know about you, but I know what my choice is. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. I want you all to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And even at home, I encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Don't, don't, tune, don't tune things out now. Now is an important time.